Section 27 of Myths and Legends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Myths and Legends of Ancient Greece and Rome by E. M. Barons. Oedipus. Laius, king of Thebes, the son of Labdacus, and a direct descendant of Cadmus, was married to Jocast, the daughter of a noble Theban. An oracle having foretold that he would perish by the hand of his own son, he determined to destroy the infant whom Jocast had just given birth. With the consent of his wife, whose affection for her husband overcame her love for her child, he pierced the feet of the babe, bound them together, and handed the infant over to a servant, with instructions to expose him on Mount Scytheron, to perish. But instead of obeying this cruel command, the servant entrusted him to a shepherd who was tending the flocks of Polybus, king of Corinth, and then returned to Laius and Jocast, and informed them that their orders had been obeyed. The parents were satisfied with the intelligence, and quieted their conscience by the reflection that they had thus prevented their son from committing the crime of parricide. Meanwhile the shepherd of King Polybus had unbound the feet of the infant, and in consequence of their being much swollen, he called him Oedipus, or Swollen Foot. He then carried him to the king, his master, who, pitying the poor little waif, enlisted for him the kind offices of his wife, Merope. Oedipus was adopted by the king and queen as their own son, and grew up in the belief that they were his parents, until one day a Corinthian noble taunted him at a banquet with not being the son of the king. Stung at the reproach, the youth appealed to Merope, but, receiving an equivocal though kindly answer, he repaired to Delphi to consult the oracle. The Pythia vouchsafed no reply to his inquiry, but informed him, to his horror, that he was fated to kill his father and to marry his own mother. Filled with dismay, for he was tenderly attached to Polybus and Merope, Oedipus determined not to return to Corinth, and took instead the road leading to Boeotia. On his way a chariot passed him, in which sat an old man with two servants, who rudely pushed the pedestrian out of the path. In the scuffle which ensued, Oedipus struck the old man with his heavy stick, and he fell back dead on the seat of the chariot. Struck with dismay at the unpremeditated murder which he had committed, the youth fled, and left the spot without learning that the old man whom he had killed was his father, Laius, king of Thebes. Not long after this occurrence, the Sphinx, full details of whom have already been given, was sent by the goddess Hera as a punishment to the Thebans. Stationed on a rocky height just outside the city, she propounded to the passers-by riddles which she had been taught by the muses, and whoever failed to solve them was torn in pieces and devoured by the monster, and in this manner great numbers of the inhabitants of Thebes had perished. Now on the death of the old king Laius, Creon, the brother of the widowed queen, had seized the reins of government, and mounted the vacant throne. And when at length his own son fell a victim to the Sphinx, he resolved at all costs to rid the country of this fearful scourge. He accordingly issued a proclamation that the kingdom and the hand of the sister Jocast should be awarded to him who should succeed in solving one of the riddles of the Sphinx, it having been foretold by an oracle that only then would the country be freed from the monster. Just as this proclamation was being made in the streets of Thebes, Oedipus, with his pilgrim's staff in his hand, entered the city. 
tempted by the prospect of so magnificent a reward, he repaired to the rock and boldly requested the Sphinx to propound to him one of her riddles. She proposed to him one which she deemed impossible of solution, but Oedipus at once solved it, whereupon the Sphinx, full of rage and despair, precipitated herself into the abyss and perished. Oedipus received the promised reward. He became king of Thebes and the husband of Jocast, the widow of his father, King Laius. For many years Oedipus enjoyed the greatest happiness and tranquillity. Four children were born to him, two sons, Eteocles and Polynices, and two daughters, Antigone and Ismene. But at last the gods afflicted the country with a grievous pestilence, which made terrible havoc among the people. In their distress they entreated the help of the king, who was regarded by his subjects as a special favorite of the gods. Oedipus consulted an oracle, and the response was that the pestilence would continue to rage until the land was purified of the blood of King Laius, whose murderer was living unpunished at Thebes. The king now invoked the most solemn imprecations on the head of the murderer, and offered a reward for any information concerning him. He then sent for the blind old seer, Tircius, and implored him, by means of his prophetic powers, to reveal to him the author of the crime. Tircius at first hesitated, but, yielding to the earnest solicitations of the king, the old prophet thus addressed him, Thou thyself art the murderer of the old king Laius, who was thy father, and thou art wedded to his widow, thine own mother. In order to convince Oedipus of the truth of his words, he brought forward the old servant who had exposed him as a babe on Mount Scytheron, and the shepherd who had conveyed him to King Polybus. Horrified at this awful revelation, Oedipus, in a fit of despair, deprived himself of sight, and the unfortunate Jocast, unable to survive her disgrace, hanged herself. Accompanied by his faithful and devoted daughter, Antigone, Oedipus quitted Thebes and became a miserable and homeless outcast, begging his bread from place to place. At length, after a long and painful pilgrimage, he found a place of refuge in the grove of the Eumenides, at Colonus, near Athens, where his last moments were soothed and tended by the care and devotion of the faithful Antigone. THE SEVEN AGAINST THEBES After the voluntary abdication of Oedipus, his two sons, Eteocles and Polynices, took possession of the crown and reigned over the city of Thebes. But Eteocles, being an ambitious prince, soon seized the reins of government himself and expelled his brother from the throne. Polynices now repaired to Argos, where he arrived in the dead of night. Outside the gates of the royal palace he encountered Tydeus, the son of Enus, king of Caledon. Having accidentally killed a relative in the chase, Tydeus was also a fugitive, but being mistaken by Polynices in the darkness for an enemy, a quarrel ensued, which might have ended fatally had not King Adrastus, aroused by the clamor, appeared on the scene and parted the combatants. By the light of the torches borne by his attendants, Adrastus observed to his surprise that on the shield of Polynices a lion was depicted, and on that of Tydeus a boar. The former bore this insignia in honor of the renowned hero Heracles, the latter in memory of the famous Caledonian boar-hunt. This circumstance reminded the king of an extraordinary oracular prediction concerning his two beautiful daughters, Argia and Depile, which was to the effect that he would give them in marriage to a lion and a boar. 
hailing with delight what he regarded as an auspicious solution of the mysterious prophecy he invited the strangers into his palace and when he heard their history and had convinced himself that they were of noble birth he bestowed upon polynices his beautiful daughter argia and upon tydeus the fair Depile, promising at the same time that he would assist both his sons-in-law to regain their rightful patrimony the first care of adrastus was to aid polynices in regaining possession of his lawful share in the government of thebes he accordingly invited the most powerful chiefs in his kingdom to join in the expedition all of whom readily obeyed the call with the exception of the king's brother-in-law amphiarus the seer as he foresaw a disastrous termination to the enterprise and knew that not one of the heroes save adrastus himself would return alive he earnestly dissuaded the king from carrying out his project and declined to take any part in the undertaking but adrastus seconded by polynices and tydeus was obstinately bent on the achievement of his purpose and amphiarus in order to escape from their importunities concealed himself in a hiding-place known only to his wife eriphyle now on the occasion of the marriage of amphiarus it had been agreed that if he ever differed in opinion with the king his wife should decide the question as the presence of amphiarus was indispensable to the success of the undertaking and moreover as adrastus would not enter upon it without the eye of the army as he called his brother-in-law polynices bent on securing his services determined to bribe eriphyle to use her influence with her husband and to decide the question in accordance with his wishes he bethought himself of the beautiful necklace of harmonia wife of cadmus which he had brought with him in his flight from thebes without loss of time he presented himself before the wife of amphiarus and held up to her admiring gaze the glittering bauble promising that if she revealed the hiding-place of her husband and induced him to join the expedition the necklace would be hers eriphyle unable to withstand the tempting bait accepted the bribe and thus amphiarus was compelled to join the army but before leaving his home he extorted a solemn promise from his son alcmion that should he perish on the field of battle he would avenge his death on his mother the perfidious eriphyle seven leaders were now chosen each at the head of a separate detachment of troops these were adrastus the king his two brothers hippomedon and parthenopeus capanus his nephew polynices and tydeus and amphiarus when the army was collected they set out for nemea which was at this time governed by king lycurgus here the argives being short of water halted on the outskirts of a forest in order to search for a spring when they saw a majestic and beautiful woman seated on the trunk of a tree nursing an infant they concluded from her noble and queenly appearance that she must be a goddess but were informed by her that she was hypsipyle queen of the lemnians who had been carried away captive by pirates and sold as a slave to king lycurgus and that she was now acting as nurse to his infant son when the warriors told her that they were in search of water she laid the child down in the grass and led them to a secret spring in the forest with which she alone was acquainted but on their return they found to their grief that the unfortunate babe had been killed during their absence by a serpent they slew the reptile and then collecting the remains of the infant they buried them with funeral honors and proceeded on their way the warlike host now appeared before the walls of thebes and each leader placed himself before one of the seven gates of the city in readiness for the attack 
Eteocles, in conjunction with Creon, had made due preparations to repel the invaders and had stationed troops under the command of trusty leaders to guard each of the gates. Then, according to the practice of the ancients of consulting soothsayers before entering upon any undertaking, the blind old seer Tircius was sent for, who, after carefully taking the auguries from the flight of birds, declared that all efforts to defend the city would prove unavailing unless the youngest descendant of the house of Cadmus would offer himself as a voluntary sacrifice for the good of the state. When Creon heard the words of the seer, his first thought was of his favorite son, Menoceus, the youngest scion of the royal house who was present at the interview. He therefore earnestly implored him to leave the city and to repair for safety to Delphi, but the gallant youth heroically resolved to sacrifice his life for the benefit of his country, and after taking leave of his old father, mounted the city walls, and plunging a dagger into his heart, perished in the sight of the contending hosts. Adrastus now gave his troops the word of command to storm the city, and they rushed forward to the attack with great valor. The battle raged long and furiously, and after heavy losses on both sides, the Argives were routed and put to flight. After the lapse of some days they reorganized their forces, and again appeared before the gates of Thebes, when Eteocles, grieved to think that there should be such a terrible loss of life on his account, sent a herald into the opposite camp with a proposition that the fate of the campaign should be decided by single combat between himself and his brother Polynices. The challenge was readily accepted, and in the duel which took place outside the city walls, in the sight of the rival forces, Eteocles and Polynices were both fatally wounded and expired on the field of battle. Both sides now claimed the day, and the result was that hostilities recommenced and soon the battle raged with greater fury than ever. But victory at last declared itself for the Thebans. In their flight the Argives lost all their leaders, Adrastus excepted, who owed his safety to the fleetness of his horse Arion. By the death of the brothers, Creon became once more king of Thebes, and in order to show his abhorrence of the conduct of Polynices in fighting against his country, he strictly forbade any one to bury either his remains or those of his allies. But the faithful Antigone, who had returned to Thebes on the death of her father, could not endure that the body of her brother should remain unburied. She therefore bravely disregarded the orders of the king, and endeavored to give sepulture to the remains of Polynices. When Creon discovered that his commands had been set at defiance, he inhumanly condemned the devoted maiden to be entombed alive in a subterranean vault. But retribution was at hand. His son Heman, who was betrothed to Antigone, having contrived to an effect an entrance into the vault, was horrified to find that Antigone had hanged herself by her veil. Feeling that life without her would be intolerable, he threw himself in despair on his own sword, and, after solemnly invoking the malediction of the gods on the head of his father, expired beside the dead body of his betrothed. Hardly had the news of the tragic fate of his son reached the king before another messenger appeared, bearing the tidings that his wife, Eurydice, on hearing of the death of Heman, had put an end to her existence, and thus the king found himself in his old age both widowed and childless. Nor did he succeed in the execution of his vindictive designs, for Adrastus, who after his flight from Thebes had taken refuge at Athens, induced Theseus to lead an army against the Thebans 
to compel them to restore the dead bodies of the Argiv warriors to their friends, in order that they might perform due funeral rites in honor of the slain. This undertaking was successfully accomplished, and the remains of the fallen heroes were interred with due honors. End of section 27 Recording by Anthony Wilson